0: welcome once again to the perimeter church podcast how many hours do you work each week more often than not do you feel you work too many or too few and is that your choice or your culture lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series the fight with this message entitled fighting for a slower pace which covers Psalm 46 verse 10 and Psalm 8 For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today.
1: If you're new with us, we're in a series, and the series is entitled The Fight. It's a fight, as we looked at the first two weeks, to uh, bring order to our private world, so to speak. It's the idea of fighting uh, to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. God says that in Psalm 90. And so we looked for two weeks in Psalm 90. Now today, we're moving into one of the ways in which we're going to better number our days, and that is by uh, fighting for a slower pace. And that will speak for itself. I'll get into that in a moment. Next week, we're going to be talking about a fight for simplicity. Last week, I said, don't think simplicity is what it sounds to be. If you're thinking, okay, now we've got to live a, you know, uh, with less money, we've got to find less activity, we have to find less, 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 that is not the heart of simplicity. I want you to hear that. So that'll be next week. The final topic, we're going to let you get online. We're going to have in print and also uh, in video and audio, you'll be able to get resources on a single day's rest. That's a way we fight. And we have to fight for the single day's rest. It's a hard thing today. But we've talked about that in, uh, in a recent series, so we're just going to make that available for those who have not gotten it. All right? I think it's a safe assumption to say that we live with an unhealthy pace of life today. I know that hurry is, is kind of in everybody's vocabulary now. Hurry, 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 hurry. And we've got to do whatever we can do to make things a little quicker, a little quicker, a little quicker. They just finished a a, a couple of studies, apparently, one in Singapore and one in the U.S., and they have been tracking the speed of people walking. And over three decades, it's gone up anywhere from 10 to 30 percent where they've been tracking. It says that everywhere you look, that's what's happening. We're just moving faster and faster. And it's not so we can get more steps, so we can look and see, you know... (laughs) It's a reality. That's what's happening in life. It is what's happening. There was an experiment that I was reading about a study of rats. And uh, they took these rats together as a group and they gave them amphetamines and had them all hyped up and they put them together. And as they put them together, the hype got stronger and stronger and stronger until they died. All of them died. So they tried it with a, a mouse they put in without any drug whatsoever placed it in that same in a group that was hyped up and so forth, and the little mouse without the drug died as well. It got hyper, more hyper, and more hyper, and more hyper, until finally it dies. It had no drug, which tells you there is something to the environment in which we live. So here we're facing it. We live in a society where everybody's moving faster and faster. Everything's hurry, hurry, hurry. Let's go, go, go. It's a way of life. It's a way of thinking. And we live in that society. And many of us would say, all right, here's the way we deal with that. We jump out of that society. And we create our own society. And we just don't do that. Well, good luck. That's not going to happen. Now, there's certain things we can do. I watch what now parents are doing with children and, and outside activity and curricular you know, things. that Okay, we're going to go to this. And we'll go over here. and We'll do this. And we're on this team. And we'll do this and this, this. And, that, and they just go, 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 go never realizing what they're losing out on. And there's a place where we say, okay, can we pull back some? Easier to do years and years ago when it wasn't such a hurried pace, but now we can pull back some. But folks, that is not going to be the answer to our problem. Let me give you a couple of quotes here. One person says, much of our activity these days is nothing more than a deep anesthetic to deaden the pain of an empty life. There's part of us which is drawn to a hurried life it makes us feel important. It keeps the adrenaline pumping. It means I don't have to look too closely at my heart or life. It keeps us from feeling our loneliness. So we're gonna look just quickly at the cause and then we're gonna go to the, uh, uh, to the cure for this problem that we have. So is the environment a problem? Yes. But let me tell you, there's a deeper problem, so hear this. The real problem is not a disordered schedule. The real problem is a disordered heart. That you have to get to start with right there. Until we start realizing it's not all about our schedule. It's about our heart. Fix the schedule and don't fix the heart. It's going to mean nothing. Fix the heart and you probably will do some tweaks to the schedule. The problem is given very clearly. Psalm 46, verse 10, reads like this. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The psalmist says, cease striving. That is seeking to achieve what only God can provide. You know what it does? It produces a poor self-esteem in us when we begin striving. We crave significance. You tell me who among us does not want to to feel significant among other people. We do. It's very natural we're going to do that. And we have this wrong belief that That it's going to be found, our significance is going to be found in what people think about us. And therefore, we're going to do whatever we can do to accomplish the things that would make us feel good about ourselves, make other people feel good about us, and tell us how they feel good about us. And we find our significance there. But it's striving. It is nothing but striving. Kids, I want to say this. I know we've got some young folks here, a bunch in the balcony, I notice save yourself a whole lot of problem, a lot of heartache, depression, all kinds of things by hearing what God has to say in his word today. I'm telling you, it's going to make a difference. It will make a difference. So what is the cure? Uh, or what is the cause? We read here in... Uh, a quote. Uh, I don't have the name of this person, but it's a scientific reality I think we'd all agree with. An, an object in motion will remain in motion in the absence of an external force. Don't we know that? Anything that's moving, unless there's something to stop it, it's going to keep going. That is the truth. One author puts it this way. He says, there are a lot of activity addicts who would love to stop running if they knew how to stop running. So what is the cause? The cause in Psalm 4610 has told us Two directives. Number one, let's look at it. Cease striving. Here is the cure. Cease striving. The, um, the idea of striving, and when he says quit striving, you know, we strive for, I mean, we should strive for uh, intimacy with God. Striving in itself is not the issue. It is why we're striving. When he's saying quit striving here, he says quit looking in the wrong places to find your st- self-esteem. Where you really have to start looking and you have to look hard at this is what does God think of us? What does he say? You've heard me say this, if you've been a part of this church, you've heard me say this so many, many times. It's a little statement. It's confusing the first time you hear it. I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I'm what I think you think I am. For you that heard that for the first time, heard me say, La 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 la. You have no clue. What did he say? Listen to it again. I'm not what I think I am. I'm really not what you think I am. You know what it is? I am what I think you think I am. Now, that's in the world of people, it is true in life. No doubt about it. Let somebody be raised up in a home in a family where the parents affirmed in a healthy way, didn't deny the brokenness of life and the issues of sin and so forth, but, but exalted them in the dignity of how they're created and so forth and, and, and just envisioned a hopeful future and so forth, what it does. Now, my parents growing up were not Christians. I, 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 my dad has been dead for years and years. I would love to have the opportunity to talk to him and say, Can I ask you truly, what did you think of me when I was growing up? I'd love to know what he'd say. And I'd say, look, please, right now, let's just get rid of all... Let's be honest. Just tell me. I can take it. I'm an adult. What did you think of me when I was a kid? What did you think about me? What happened when I grew up? Do you know what he may well say to me? Ah, well... I actually didn't have very high hopes for you, son, because you're very average in a lot of ways, you know. And I watched you coming up, and I said, you know, I hope he does okay, but who? I don't know. (laughs) It truly may be what he thought. I don't know. But you know what? Even if he did, he somehow fooled me to make me think that he thought I would do fine. I presume maybe he did. I don't know. But I know this. I heard it as a kid. I've said this before. He'd say to me, boy, I don't know what you're going to do when you grow up, but you're going to do fine. I don't worry about what you do. You do fine. You'll make whatever you choose to. You can do what you want to do. Go do it. You know, da, da, da. Well, you know what happened to me as a kid? I grew up, I never thought, ooh, I wonder what I'll, wonder if I'll be able to make it. I wonder if I can make this career. I I didn't think that way. Why not? I should. I'm very average in so many... Well, because of this, I had a dad that was maybe sitting there saying it with his fingers crossed, his arms crossed, and his legs crossed. I don't know. But he'd say, boy, you're going to do fine. You're going to do fine. And I heard that. I said, I'm not going to become what I think I am. And I'm not going to become even what my dad thinks I am. But I'll tell you what I will be imprinted in a big way with is what does my dad think of me in my opinion? What do I think he thinks of me, right or wrong? If I think he's thinking, well, I go, wow, I'll probably be okay. That's why I encourage any parents. That's not deceitful. It's not wrong. It's a good thing to do. Encourage your children. Talk about the brokenness of sin and who we are and so forth, but, but encourage them however and whenever you can. But folks, let me tell you, as long as we're looking to the you to be one of us, parents, friends whoever it is, if that's who we're looking to, we're in big trouble regardless. The you has to be God. It has to be God. And we have to know what God thinks of us. If we believe it's God and we got wrong views of what he thinks about us, that's not going to help. If we believe that, that, that God is, is, you know, really against us because look how, look what we've done and how we're going to make up for this. And depending upon how we think of God, thinking of us is going to impact us bigger than any single thing. So let's look at God's word in Psalm eight. I'd like for you to have your Bibles. If you have them, turn to Psalm eight. We'll look at verses three and four to begin with. We'll come back to an earlier verse later, but it says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? and the son of man that you care for him. Now, the psalmist is David. We know that David was a shepherd. He had a lot of time out, in the, out in, uh, looking under the stars, I'm sure. I don't know when he wrote this. Was he, was he laying down looking at the stars? I don't know. But I would like to think that probably he's either reflecting on a time he has or maybe he is at that moment before he writes Maybe he's been looking up into the skies and he looks up and he sees and they don't have the, the science that we have today. And so David has got to be thinking, wow, how far is that little light away? Uh, yeah, well, look at the sun and look at the moon and look at the, look at the stars. And, and maybe he's just awed by what he sees as you and I would be. And says, where does this end? How big is this? And in doing so, he says, but God, I'm a speck on a speck. How how is it that you would even have thought of me? This is the man who writes and says, cease striving. Know that I am God. You think about it. You know that sun is 93 million miles from Earth. That's a long way. But then you put it in perspective and you say, well, the nearest star is thousands of times further than that. You think about the the stars that we have. We know of of 200 million stars, and we know that we've only scratched the surface to say they're that many. There are many planets that are millions of times bigger than the sun, and the and the sun is millions of times larger than the earth? I mean, it just kind of blows your mind. And then you go to the other galaxies, you go beyond and beyond and beyond, and you go, where does this thing end? Does it end? How can this be? And with that, he's able to help us understand what God thinks about us. That little speck. And this is what he says. Number one, in your outline, I'm going to suggest... He thinks we are special. Look at verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. This is a verse that's very, very difficult because in the English, it's probably not saying what it appears it's saying in the original language. I think it's the appropriate translation to understand that you have made him for a little while lower than God and using God to be a, a, a name for the angels above. I'd really think what he's saying here is, hey, you've been made a little lower than the angels. And by the way, that's all creation of human. We have been put in that position, but there'll be a time for those that are believers where we will now be above the angels in a way that we will be there seated in the heavenly throne with Christ himself. With that in mind, he says, and crown him with glory and majesty. So what God has done with all of his creation is to say, you got glory, you got renown, you got splendor, majesty means stately dignity. He's saying, do you know that I stamped you with my image? You're in my image. You really are created in my image. You are special. Well, that's a starting point, but it's only a starting point. So David goes a step further. Look at verses 6 through 8 when he says, he thinks we're important. This is how he says it. He says, You made him, you make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. He's saying, Look, do you understand that you are so important that I have placed you in charge of my creation? that he says of itself, when he creates it, this is good. And he says, now you that are the pinnacle of my creation, I'm going to put you over all the rest of my creation. It's yours to subdue and to give leadership and to protect and to care for. This is your job. Well, you know this, in the world in which we live, when somebody is given great responsibility, It's because the one who is totally in charge says, I'm going to put you there because I have a very high view of you. I believe you are capable and I think that highly of you, go do this job. He says, let me tell you, you people, even you that are not followers of Jesus, you got to know this. You truly are special. You've been given a very special role in life. Your design is special. Your role is special. That's what I think of you. But, folks, as good as that is, because of sin, it's really not good enough to change how we really want to be able to see ourselves and to become what we need to become. The third thing I would add to that is this. He thinks we're perfect. That's the story of the gospel. I mean, that's the reality throughout God's Word. He says, do you understand that you that are Christians, you that are my followers, stamped in my image, yes, and responsible, yes, but do you know this, that when I see you as my children, I see you as perfect? I mean, perfect. How many of us see ourselves in such a way in God's sight? Most of us think, oh, gosh, I I dread the day, and we'll be on our deathbed. and say, oh, God, I'm scared to see you because I know how I did, and I sure slipped up, and I shouldn't have, and I wish I had, I'm so, you know, and here I go, God. I got to meet you. Let me tell you, folks, that's wrong. If you're a real Christian, he looks at you, he looks at me, and he says, I see you in the righteousness of my son, Jesus. It has no merit with what you've done. It's the merit of Jesus alone on Calvary's cross. And when you come into my family, you are covered in the righteousness of my son and I can't see you but anyway as my perfect righteous child. I've led many a man to Christ where I have a conversation and say with him right afterwards and say, okay, you, you think you've come to faith and so forth. Assume you really have come to faith right now and let's say that we both instantaneously this moment, we have a heart attack and we die and stand before God in the very same second together at that moment. And we say ourselves before our, our creator. And I'll say to, to Jim, I say, hey, Jim, what do you think God's going to say to me? Well, he's going to say, way to go. You know, you were really good, and you did a lot of great things, and really, wow, 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 wow. And he tells that. And I said, well, okay, well, what do you think he's going to say about you? Oh, he's going to say, you sure were lucky to get in. <laughs> All right, here you know, you really messed up badly. You ought to really be appreciative for what I'm doing for you now. And I'll stop him in his tracks and I'll say, no. He's going to look at you, he's going to look at me, and he's going to see, I see you identical. You're like twins in righteousness because you can't get more than perfect righteous. He's going to say of me, Randy, you're perfectly righteous. He's going to say, Jim, you're perfectly righteous. There's no difference in right. Oh, are there rewards and and, and so forth? Yeah, there are, but okay, you get rewards. What do you do with rewards? You cast them at the feet of Jesus. Nobody's going to be jealous of anybody else. We're going to be happy for those that do. At the same time, we're going to say, my cup, it may be a different size than your cup, and your cup may be bigger than my cup, but I'm telling you this, they're full, aren't they? And we have nothing but heavenly bliss at that moment. He sees us righteous, guys. We got to believe that. And anything short of that in life, let me tell you, we're going to be striving to fill up the balance between where we see this ourselves and the reality of what it really should be. That's the striving. That's when it means so much what people think of us. So what do you do when people say things about you that hurt you? When people think lowly of you for whatever reason, what do you do with that? I'll tell you what I do. I strive until I get my mind focused on the reality. Wait, 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 wait. I fear God. Why would you fear what people think? Why would you care what people think? What difference does it make if my creator God says, I see you as perfectly righteous in my sight? That's what counts, folks. And that's the difference maker in our lives right there. Young people, you find God to be that you in your life. What you think, God, when you start thinking that way and you've got the truth, let me tell you, at that point, you go, hmm, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm not the popular one at school and I didn't get accepted at this and I didn't make this cut and I wasn't this. And people look at me and think I'm not as much as they are and I'm not as good as... You know what, God? I wish I could be in those areas. That would have been fun and nice, but let me tell you, very deceiving as well. God, you see me as righteous and you love me beyond anything I can imagine and there's no one you love less that you love more than me. Well, when that becomes the thinking pattern of one's life, you don't fear people because you don't have to. You know what God thinks about you and you'll become... What you think, he thinks of you. he does give one final thing. He says, cease striving, yes. But Psalm 4610, we'll read it again. Cease striving, and then he says, and know that I am God. Look at Psalm 8-1. In the early service, I said, I need verse one, can you put it up? And I waited, and I waited, and I said, I really need, I know we had it, I used it last night. Can you put verse one up there? Now I'm looking at this and I'm seeing verse 10. <laughs> and I tell them, be sure and put it down here where I can see what it is, and I hadn't even looked down there, okay? It's a good time for me not to care what people think about me. <laughs> Verse 1 that begins with O. <laughs> o Lord, our Lord, how majestic. Lord means governor, judge, ruler. Majestic means excellent, wonderful, magnificent is your name. You know, name refers to character. Well, this is your character. This is who you are who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Now, that's the one that we say, I know you're God, and I know what you think about me. It's no better than that. I'm telling you, those who want to defeat striving, you know what God is, who he is, and what he thinks about you. And that'll make all the difference in the world. We'll close with this. I had five suggestions that I would make that I put up on the board in the earlier service. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to speak a couple of things out of it that I think are most important. These are just some practical thoughts. You know, if we're going to be people who see striving and who really know that he's God, you know, we've got to come to the place where we can admit that we, we do have a disappointment a disordered heart. My heart is never without disorder, and neither is yours. And that's why we look at our heart, we do it in corporate worship, we do it in private worship, and we say, Lord, I need to repent of my sins. And we need to see what's behind the sins that we have. In this case, for me, when I start looking and I've gotta be concerned about what you think about me and how you're that, that, I know what's happening. It's either because of pride It's some way of disbelief in who God is and what he thinks about me. It's the fact that I found counterfeit glories that I think I've got to have in order to be happy. And then I remember, this is the definition of repentance. I'll say it over and over. As long as I ever preach, I'll be saying this. This is repentance. Hear it again and again and again. It's admitting I'm wrong, yes, but it's taking another step and saying, and I am truly remorseful. And if I'm not remorseful, then that's where I have to say, God, please have mercy. Would you work in my heart? Would you cause me to grieve over the sin that I've committed? I I don't want sin to be a part of my life. And so, God, would you deal with that sin? And and then once you say, oh, i really hate what I've done, then you come back to the open arms of a loving father and you say, your love is enough for me. That's real repentance. Every sin is saying I need to do this in order to get what I need in life as opposed to saying I've got what I need in life. I have a Father who sees me as perfectly righteous and loves me perfectly. Good enough, good enough. And so you got to start there. You have to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to keep being filled with the Spirit. You hear me talk about that all the time. I mean, what we have to do is be able to say, okay, i got to remember, i got to surrender, i got to remember what God did for me. i got to know and consider that, that I, was, I was in sin and God ripped me away from my own nature. And he put me into a relationship, binding me with his spirit, where I am forever, forever sealed with his spirit. And he's raised me up to an ability now to obey that I've never had before. So now it just means I've remembered that I need to surrender based on that. So here's my eyes, here's my mouth, here's my hands, here's my feet, here's my life. Here, God, forgive me, and, and would you fill me with your power now, not just to do the right things, but to believe the right things about what you think about me, God. That's how it happens. I think it's important we establish some goals. Put your priorities out. Hey, I know some of us just, bleh, that's, that's a, we hate that subject matter. Don't. Don't, don't talk organization. And you know what? You're wired by God not to love that. That's okay. Others of you think, boy, if I could do anything, it's just to work on my schedule. And every group that's different looks at each other as, they're just strange, different, weird, and crazy. I don't know. But let me tell you, God wires us differently. That's okay. But it doesn't hurt any of us to just put a little thought into, what should I be trying to do? How should I use my time? And if anything else, do this. Schedule your time enough that you can include solitude with the Lord every day of your life. I'll forever be thankful for the man who entered into my life early starting high school, and he said, you want to be God's God's vessel used of him? Then you spend time with him every day. Don't feel under the law when you miss. But make it your ambition every day to set aside enough time to be in solitude. Be able to hear what God says. You know that rat illustration? Do you know that if they took a rat and they pulled it out of that group and they put it alone, the rat would do okay. It got in solitude. We can't get in solitude every day, all day long. But we can find some time and say Lord I want to I talk to you I want to listen to you I want to be real with you and I want to consider what you say let me tell you that will be a difference maker and so the pace let's slow it down it's not going to be so much though working on your schedule it's going to be working on the heart cease striving know he's God Never forget that God says, you're perfect in Christ. I love you. So seeker. That's why you'd want to just consider, could Jesus be who he claimed to be? Check his life out. Read the scriptures and the gospels. Watch the cross and why he did what he did. And see if you don't find your heart fall in love with him and you find yourself saying, I want to follow. And you get to enjoy the perfect love of a perfect father. Who sees us perfect in his righteousness. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that, huh? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would grant us to be a people who cease striving and, and begin focusing attention, even in solitude, of how you are God and what you really do think about us. And Lord, some of us need some repair made in our hearts right now. Repair about how we view you, viewing us, uh, what we think of you, what we think of ourselves. I pray, Father, that you would grant us wholeness, that you would forgive us of our sin for this disordered heart that we have. And we pray that you would grant any seeker among us even now to see you by your grace and fall in love with you even today. Grant it, we ask, in the great name of our Savior Jesus.